Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Sports Cafe. We're glad to be back with everyone. My name is Ian Gus, alongside our uh, typical cast of characters, Adam Rosen, Mike Weil, Mike Mandel. Adam, how are you doing this week? Doing well. I'm happy to be alive. I think I was uh, in the hospital this time last week, but uh, in the words of Stu Finer, I'm ready to roll, ready to roll, ready to roll. Well, we're all uh, very happy to have you back and, and to hear that, that all is okay. And hopefully you'll uh, have more fun uh, doing the podcast than in the hospital. So, uh, Mike Weil, how about you in Chicago? What's new? Uh, it's cold. Probably not as snowy as, as you guys have it, but it, it snowed this week. First of all, two things. Adam, I'm so glad you're feeling well. And it's great to see you, and I'm I'm hoping that you continue to feel well. Ian, I'm very impressed with the song choice. Ventura Highway by Americo is not what I was expecting to hear in the intro, but it's a great song. So I was looking for L.A.-themed songs, since we do have the Super Bowl happening got in it. L.A. Got it, got it. Yeah, good song. But it's, uh, it's good. I'm excited to talk sports. Mike Mandel, what's going on outside Philly? Uh, you know, Winter Olympics just started, so pretty excited for that. Um, yeah, a little, little bit of snow here, most of it melted, but, um, you know, finally going to have to start the training for the Tough Mudder, so I'll, I'll be back at it pretty soon. I think we're all looking forward to springtime. Who knows if we'll get baseball? That's uh, like maybe a topic for another day, but uh, we are still in the thick of things with football. Obviously, we just had the championship uh, round games this past Sunday, and we expected to be leading with those, but instead we're going to spend a few minutes on really the, the hottest topic in all of sports and, you know, definitely made its way into kind of mainstream news as well, and that's Brian Flores and his lawsuit uh, suing the NFL, obviously former Miami Dolphins coach. I think he's a coach we all were surprised that the Dolphins fired after uh, really coming on strong to end the season. There were some, I guess, back-channel rumors of him not getting along with coordinators, things of that nature, but he was up for and continues to still be up for a number of head coaching spots. But uh, just this past week, I believe it was on, was it Tuesday, that uh, Brian Flores filed a class action suit. Um, it's, I think, 60-plus pages long. I don't know that any of us had a chance to read all of it, but um, there's definitely some explosive charges in there. The, the, the main ones being around racial discrimination and um, not just for himself, but for really, you know, black and, and minority head coaches or coaches trying to be head coaches in the NFL um, and, you know, some accusations around that. And then uh, also, you know, maybe we can discuss which is bigger, but the other piece is teams tanking and specifically his owner of the Dolphins uh, basically saying that, if they're losing games, he gets an extra $100,000 for each loss. This was back in 2019 that uh, he made this accusation. So obviously trying to uh, get better draft positions. So really just a, a stunning kind of public uh, rebuke of the NFL. Obviously, there's the Bill Belichick text messages, too, that we can talk about in, in relation to the Giants head coaching search and the timing around that. So I guess we can start with Wild. What were your first reactions when you saw this news? Yeah, I mean, I was very... I was shocked in multiple ways, I think, because the NFL has branded itself as making a lot of strides in terms of being more, I guess, sensitive to racial issues, political issues. And for this to happen in 2022, where we wouldn't have known about this had Bill Belichick not sent 
the wrong Brian a, a text message. Like this is, I don't know if this has been going on, but what surprised me was that the it's the NFL. It's a billion dollar business, and to have this type of thing happen, where it, it's just horrible. Like you don't ever want to see this happen again. Where especially with the Rooney Rule, where they're saying how important it is to them and you have a candidate who's a great candidate. He probably shouldn't have been fired in Miami. I mean, I, I think there were obvious issues with with the owner and with Flores, but to have him it, it, have a sham interview, and it seems like it happened multiple times, I mean, with John Elway allegedly coming in hungover, you wonder how many candidates this has happened to. So I was sad to hear that it happened, and I think that given all of the progress the NFL seems to have made in terms of their sensitivities, um, I was surprised. So my, my initial reaction was I was surprised. I was sad it happened, and I think it's ridiculous. And if they already had picked Dable, they shouldn't have interviewed him. And I, I think that there's there's a flaw in the system, and we're going to talk about how it, it can be addressed. But, um, you know, my, my initial reaction was... I was upset by it, and I think that no candidate should have to deal with something like that. So it sounds like, for the most part, you're taking his accusations at face value, and you know, for, and seemingly as truth, at least as an outsider. Yeah, I I do because you know, from a legal perspective, he's exposing himself to a lot of countersuits if he's not telling the truth, because he's alleging racism, he's alleging discrimination. These are all things that you can say are libelous and slanderous if if they're not true. So I think to make the accusations the way he's making them, it had to have... Ha like, I just can't see him making it up unless he's not aware of the legal repercussions. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think making it up is unlikely. I guess there's some maybe room for interpretation mm -hmm. and the order of events and what words mean and don't mean, and we can maybe talk about that um, in a moment, but... Just wanted to get everyone else's reaction. Adam, what were your thoughts when you saw this? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think this is a topic you you certainly need to tread carefully on. Um, you know, I I totally understand his frustration with the process, which is clearly flawed. And I agree that no one wants to be a lame duck a lame duck interviewee where you basically go in knowing that the job has already been filled. Which it's unclear whether that's the case. I think the issue that I have is accusing some of these teams of being racist for the way that things played out. To me, the New York Giants are not a racist organization. I, I know uh, Tiki Barber had a very uh, emotional um, uh, conversation on his um, on his show on WFN this week, you know, defending the Giants and how good they were to him and just saying how he knows that they're not a racist organization. I think that there are definitely flaws with the Rooney rule. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's kind of unclear the, the sequence of events. And, you know, it sounds like Dable had not been formally offered the job, but that they may have been leading in that direction. So I don't know. It's, it's a very tricky subject. I don't have the answers for it. Um, I think one thing that comes to mind that maybe could solve something like this in the future is not only do you have to interview the minority candidates, but maybe you guarantee that they get the first interview 
so that at the very least you know that you know they haven't spoken to another can because no you would never hire someone without interviewing them first so maybe you let them get the interview first so i don't know maybe that's a start but you know it's definitely a flawed process but i do have an issue with accusing these teams of of not hiring him because they're racist because truth be told if he hadn't have filed his lawsuit i think there's a pretty good chance that he probably would have gotten one of the other uh, open head coaching gigs i know the saints and the texans i mean he probably would have gotten one of those so you know filing the lawsuit probably takes him out of the running for those but um yeah definitely a very uh polarizing situation and he still could get one of those openings and you could argue the nfl might uh, want him to get one of those openings to kind of, I don't in see, a how, sense, disprove you, his theory. Yeah, but how can you hire him after he's filing a lawsuit against the whole the league? I just, I don't know. I don't. And he even acknowledged. He said, "Look, I I realize that this may jeopardize my my coaching future. So I, I mean, I'd be stunned right. if he got one of these jobs." No, and, but... and, and to me, that I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he's only forty years old, and he's you know a, uh, at least a five hundred or slightly winning coach. He has plenty of years yeah. ahead of him, so. To me, he does have a lot to lose by doing something like this, and and to and I guess to me that makes it a little bit more believable and and I guess sympathetic because he's really I think he has the greater good in mind and he wants to bring attention to this issue and you know we can debate over the specifics but it's definitely getting us and lots of people to talk about something that hasn't been really talked about openly in a number of years. Um, but Mike Mandel, what what were your thoughts when you first read the news? Yeah, I'm, I'm with Mike on this. I, I, I mean, it was clearly a bombshell. Um, I don't think there's any way he's making this stuff up. Um, he, he wouldn't be putting all this out there, suing not only the NFL but multiple organizations if he didn't have a case to make. And if Adam made the point himself, right? He's probably almost certainly taken himself out of contention for any future coaching job in the NFL. Um, and you know, Brian Flores, he's, he's a smart guy. He, he wouldn't be doing this. Um, just to, you know, uh, just, just, just to troll and get a discussion going. Hey, these are all serious accusations. And, you know, Mike made the point of, you know, po- possible countersuits of libel or slander, um, if any of it was untrue. Um, I, I have to say, I think he's right because you know, as of now, Mike Tomlin is the only black coach in the entire league. I want to say the league is about 70% black players if I'm not mistaken and you can make the case individually for why each coach was chosen for the job um you know what were the merits that it, that each coach brought to the table regardless of race but I think if you look at the numbers overall it, it's hard to deny that there's a clear lack of representation among black coaches you know add that to the fact that among all the coaches that lost their jobs this season granted there were a couple of other black coaches who were fired as well but Brian Flores was easily the least likely to have been fired um, before week 18. I don't think any of us would have expected his termination, um, given that he he finished with a winning record and, you know, granted the team had a rough start, he led them to seven straight victories. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, that had never been done before. So, you know, for him to be giving up what would have been a very promising coaching career, because I, I don't doubt he would have gotten another job. If, if he didn't file this lawsuit, he absolutely would have gotten another job. He would have had another chance to turn a team around and probably would have worked out pretty well. But he sees a bigger problem at hand. And I feel like if, you know, that's more important to him than his entire coaching career, then 
he must have a pretty strong case because he's got a ton to lose and not much personal gain. I think there's a lot of you know gain as far as black coaches in general, but you know from from personal gain standpoint. He could have just kept his mouth shut, got a new job, and moved on. He decided not to do that, and I don't see why he would unless all the stuff that he's saying is in some way, shape, or form true. That might even embellished a couple of things, maybe, but I, I don't think he's lying. No, it's it's an interesting point, and, and we kind of hit a little bit on the timing, but that he didn't wait to see if he was going to get all the, you know, any of the jobs that he interviewed for. He While he's still in consideration, I think it's what, the Saints and the Texans, maybe? Is that... I think the Texans definitely one of them, but there's a couple right. of openings that he's he would be or still is in contention. So that's to me kind of another point in his favor that he went out and got ahead of it and but just, I, I think you know, announced this lawsuit. The other thing that's a little bit curious is just how quickly this lawsuit came about, which makes you kind of feel like actually that he had been playing this for a while, and it's almost like not getting the Giants' job is what prompted this because. Um, you know, there, there's a lot in there, and I, if he had gotten the Giants' job, this my guess is this probably doesn't come out. I, I'm guessing the Giants was his top job. I think he's from the area. Um, but the fact that this lawsuit came down so quickly after that experience with the Giants, you have to think that he had been working on this for a while and kind of had this in the back of his mind. Maybe after he got fired from the Dolphins is when it kind of hit him that this was something he was considering doing. But um, I, I did find – I'm still – a little bit surprised that he uh, has chosen to do this before finding out whether he got the other gigs. Um, that that to me is is very surprising. That's why. Did you want to add? Lying, oh. You know. Yeah. Because I think. Wow. What do you think? Timing wise, from like is a legal it, perspective. Yeah, I I just think that it it's a piece of evidence showing that either he was ready to do like it obviously was to the point where he had enough so something must have happened over the last few years i I do agree with adam's point that there probably was a build-up to this but that that this pushed it over the edge and i i've been crazy busy with work so i haven't really read closely what the allegations are from him i know the general gist of it is that there's unfair practices in hiring i didn't hear adam did he say that the organizations are racist or just that the hiring practices are not fair to African-Americans. I, I know the word racist has been, has been thrown around. So I think um, it was I, racial, I, racial discrimination was the yeah. term. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's a very serious allegation. Yeah. That's like a legal term, right? And right. I think so this, yeah. So just one I, thing in, Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that from a legal perspective, that's a very serious allegation. So if, there ha- in order for this to have happened, if you're someone that is understanding the full repercussions of that accusation, there has to be substance behind it. You don't just throw that out there, especially against billion-dollar entities like NFL teams and multi-billion, hundreds of billions of dollars that, that the NFL is worth. That, that you don't, given the legal power that they have at their disposal, you don't just do that. So I I don't know enough to comment on the specifics about, you know, is 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 X organization racist? I, I can't comment on that. But what I can say is that if he said these things, 
I would be shocked if there wasn't substance behind it. I don't think it was just spur of the moment, I'm angry, so I'm going to sue. I, I think that this was probably a pattern or, or something he was seeing, and he wants to, in his mind, be that person that is at the forefront of correcting this problem. So I'm interested to see moving forward if this becomes a class action suit because I heard that there was potential for that. That's what I think he filed it as, which I don't, again, I don't know the legal rules, but it's only one person. Can one person file a class action? You're the representative for the class. So there is a lead representative. He's the lead representative of the class. So that probably means there's other coaches or other people that feel like they have a complaint under this suit so um i'm really interested to watch how this unfolds again i was really surprised i was not expecting this at all given the climate that the nfl seemed to be promoting um and you have this rule in place specifically to mitigate this problem so it's you know it's it's sad if this is the case that there are discriminatory hiring practice i just I have to read more in order to comment on the specifics, basically. You're a Roger Cossack, Mike. I guess. I, guess. I don't. <laughs> but yeah, I think what, what bothers me about classifying this as racial discrimination, so looking in, in the Giants' defense, okay, so they hired a GM, which is arguably the most important position in the organization, guy from Buffalo, and I think it's totally uh, respectable that he would want to bring in his own guy in Brian Dable, a guy who he's worked with. He knows he'd get along, along with. They share the same vision. Um, and I think that's just the way it is sometimes. Um, you know, I don't think there was any racial intent there. Um, you know, you look at even the Bears, right? The Bears just hired a black GM uh, who hired a, a white head coach um, who I'm guessing he is. He thought he was the best person for the job. And I think a lot of times it's, you know, hiring a head coach is kind of like dating, right? You don't necessarily have a it, – it, it's not necessarily a, a precise criteria. It, it's whether, you know, you like the person, you think you work well with them, and it, it's just a very subjective process. And I think that, yes, the fact that there's only one black head coach right now uh, seems a little bit low. I think it's a little bit fluky. I know in the past we've had a lot more, and I guess for whatever reason the number is very low. But I think what the Rooney Rule does is it provides, it guarantees minorities a chance to interview. And I think ultimately that's all you can really ask, right? You can't force teams to hire certain people, but what you can do is make sure that more people get an opportunity to interview. And from there, you know, ideally more of these candidates can find a way to to blow away these teams to hire them. I mean, I think I had read that that's kind of what put Brian Flores on the map in the first place was that he, a couple of years ago when he was interviewing, you know, he didn't get the job, but apparently he was really impressive in interviews. He was kind of on people's radar as like the next big coordinator. And that's ultimately how we got the job w- with Miami. So again, I, there's no easy answer here, you know, it, because hiring is a very subjective process. But I think, you know, what you can try to do is just make sure that people have an opportunity to interview, you know, and maybe that means, you know, more minorities as coordinators because, it, you know, the coordinators are generally the ones who get promoted to head coaches. Um, 
but it's not it's not an easy situation by any means. There's there's no if there was a clear answer, I think it probably would have been been implemented, uh, you know, by this point. Yeah, I, I don't think there is a clear answer. I, I do think there's too much to, to really be dismissed as a coincidence. I, I, I think if you look at the black coaches who've recently lost their jobs, you look at um, you look at the Texans coach, um, you look at Hugh Jackson, you look at Brian Flores, they, they basically all said, if they, if they haven't said it outright, they've implied that they were all set up to fail. Right? Brian Flores was told that he was being told to, by, by ownership to tank games, intentionally lose. Um, the Houston head coach clearly had, you know, nothing going for him. That that job was impossible to succeed. And then same with the Browns. Um, and it does seem like yeah. there is um, this belief among among ownership, which is almost entirely white, that you know it's it's easier to choose a black coach as the potential fall guy. Um, I obviously have no proof, no, no solid proof behind that statement, but I, I feel like there's too much to simply dismiss it as being luck of the draw or, or you know, happen circumstance. I, I like to think that. I just, they, see, I, I just think that I think that coaches have way too short a hook to begin with. I don't care what, what race they are. I feel like coaches in the NFL, they get fired so quickly. Um, you know, you've, you've seen coaches get fired after making the playoffs. I mean, it's a pretty yeah. cruel world, you know, f- football coaching. Um, but again, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't have the answers. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing I'm just looking through the suit and, you know, he kind of calls out the percentages. We obviously talked about the one out of 32 for head coaches. I think it's four out of 32 for offensive coordinator, 11 out of 32 for defensive. And then he, he makes the comment and anecdotally, this sounds true, but it, it's not in the suit backed up by any sort of evidence. Um, I was going to read it uh, exactly the way it says, Black head coaches are far less likely than white head coaches to receive second chances, even as white head coaches are routinely hired by teams after they fail elsewhere. So, again, we'd have to look at the numbers. It would take a lot of research. But I think of guys like Jason Garrett, who keeps getting jobs, and uh, Dan Quinn, who's, you know, I don't think anyone was too happy or, or thought he did a great job with the Cowboys, but he's still one of the finalists for a lot of these jobs. So I feel like anecdotally there is some truth to the white head coaches kind of popping up for a second chance, whereas the black head coaches often you don't hear from after they get fired the first time. Yeah. So and, you know, one and thing part to of it too, I, I feel like there's a lot of guys out there who just are better coordinators than they are head coaches. I mean, there's a lot of guys who they get the job and maybe they're, they're a defensive specialist and they don't realize that when you're a head coach, like you're responsible for both sides of the ball. And this goes for obviously all races. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's hard to explain why certain guys get second chances and others don't. Um, I know in the example of the Broncos, where um, Flores thought that you know John Elway showed up hungover and he very strongly denied it today. He said that they you know had a late night flight you know from another interview, um, but that job ended up going to Vic Fangio, who you know was an old timer who had never been a head coach in. 35 plus years of coaching so you know you look at an example like that and it's like oh well you know well he he paid his dues like he probably deserved a shot at some point so again it's it's a very subjective process and no team will you know can tell you definitively like here's why we hired him and not this guy or like they would just never be that transparent so it's it's hard to say 
And let's spend just a, a couple minutes specifically on the Giants situation. I think Weil and Adam have kind of mentioned it, but that was really at the heart of the suit. It, it was those Bill Belichick text messages that were at the top of the lawsuit that he, I guess, texted the wrong Brian. Um, but, you know, I, I do have to agree with, with Adam, with the Giants. I don't think that's a smoking gun. I think for whatever reason, Bill Belichick seems to have some insight or inside info, which is a strange situation to begin with. That has nothing to do with, you know, this lawsuit. But he kind of thinks there's a favorite and says, oh, you got this. You'll, you know, you'll be great. And it, it doesn't say, you know, you're definitely being hired or they've sent you a contract to sign or anything like that. And there's going to always be a favorite going into the process. I think Adam's point of maybe making the Rooney rule, you know, have the the minority head coach uh, interview first. That's a good thought. It's an easy kind of quick. I don't know if it would be fit, quick fix, but it would be something they could do to help. But um, I thought the Giants, I know not all of us read the statement, but they did put out a lengthy statement a couple hours ago, I think three or four paragraphs in detail, a full timeline of the day's uh, long activities when Brian Flores visited the the team headquarters um and we know the owner john mara reached out to flores before they had a gm in place uh to to basically express interest and um you know by all accounts he was a true finalist with the giants the giants specifically said these accusations were false which you know in i i believe in uh in john elway's statement he didn't say they were false he kind of provided an alternate explanation of what was going on so I, i you know i think using the word this is false uh, twice in a statement definitely means a little bit more, but so much of this is he said, he said a lot of it, I would think. And um, you know, while we'd want to get your thoughts on this and then also just from a legal standpoint, one thing I was hearing is if this kind of goes to the next step, there's a discovery phase where then some, you know, emails and communications could be subjected to go public that aren't currently public. And that might be something that Dable's trying to get out of this is try to expose some of those, you know, supposed to be private conversations, similar we saw with the Gruden emails. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an issue that it's case by case. So um, until we uh, discovery is confidential. So, I mean, you're the, oh, the law firm, the, the law firm is supposed to keep any confidential information they're given in discovery as confidential. You don't just go broadcasting the evidence that you get in discovery, at least from what I know. Um, but I think that I like Adam's point about interviewing an African-American candidate first. I think that the unfortunate minority minority or minority candidate, sorry, right. The, the, a minority cam candidate first, because you need to, I, I thought personally that the Rooney rule would help this issue that minorities would get more of a chance. But I, I do want to say I don't think I think that there's a systemic problem in the hiring process. Um, But I don't think I I agree with Adam's point that you don't want to blanketly state until hearing more that NFL teams are racist. I, I think that that is not a correct statement until proven otherwise. But what I do think there needs to be is like Adam said, a fix to this problem where you do get more minority head coaches because, as Mike Mandel said, there's a disproportionate number or a disproportionate lack of minority representation in the head coaching ranks and in the front offices. So um, 
it's a hard fix though because this the Rooney Rule is supposed to fix the problem. It clearly has not. So how do you tweak it? And you hope that if you interview someone first, they're actually first, and that they don't have a backhanded, uh, uh, behind the back deal in place. Um, so there's not an easy fix, like we've all been saying. But the one thing is, they have to. And my final point about this is something needs to be done. And if this is true, it's good that a light was shed on this. And just real quick, which we, we didn't really touch on much, but to me, like the most egregious takeaway from this whole thing is the fact that um, uh, Stephen Ross was uh, uh, allegedly uh, bribing um, Coach Flores $100,000 for every game he would lose trying to tank for, I think it was Joe Burrow, which to me, if that's true, is such a black eye on the sport. And I don't know how you could you could allow Ross to keep his team. But something like that, I mean, we have this conversation every year about tanking and whether we want our teams to to lose, to try to get the better draft pick. And I think we we all kind of root for it, but you know that you can't actually, you know, punt on the games, you know, for the and integrity of the sport. The and, yeah, but, but monetary, to, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, if he's able to prove this somehow, I would be stunned if there's a a text message or an email or a voicemail about this. It's my guess is it's probably something he said to him in confidence on his yacht or something <laughs> away from, from any sort of, um, you know, public. But, um, but to me that that's, that's wild. That that's, I, I'd love to see how that plays out and whether or not it actually happened. Yeah. I just hope something good comes out of all this. Can we talk about that for a second? The the sure. hundred, like, and how about and how about the NFL immediately within hours saying this is all without merit? And then I think they came back and were like, well, actually, we are going to investigate the you know the Lucy on purpose piece, especially with the the gambling and how I they're think, in bed with the gambling hours. Yeah, I noticed that too, but I think when they when they refuted it, they were referring more to the fact that like there's racial discrimination. But I agree, you can't refute. Uh, they should have read the whole report. thing, first. right? Before, yeah, like it was vague what they were refuting, but I think that's probably what they meant. File. Yeah, I, I want to comment on the hundred thousand dollar thing because that is, as Adam said, insane. <laughs> like, like he could get if, if this is true, and they were saying other owners were doing it too, which who knows? But if there's evidence that this is true, Stephen Ross is probably going to lose his ownership and probably going i'd be surprised if he didn't and he probably won't be anywhere near the nfl again because that is that's like pete rose level or worse because you're the owner of the team in terms of are you trying to fix the outcome of a game and now that gambling is so big um there's there's a lot more behind it so i i think that that is, it's apples and oranges. You can't compare, you know, they're, they're, they're both huge stories. Um, but I was, that, that was insane. Like the, the fact that, that that was part of the, the lawsuit. If, if true, Stephen Ross is in big, big trouble. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's evidence out there, but honestly, I don't, I don't think it's too far fetched. Like I think with, with the John Gruden situation, what what we all my conclusion from that is that like he he got caught do, doing and saying all this stuff but think about how much stuff doesn't get caught and i think this is probably one of those things 
Yeah, so I think this will probably be an ongoing story, uh, at least for, for a few weeks, maybe much longer. So we will uh, keep an eye on it and discuss it further as news develops. But wanted to transition to some on-the-field uh, NFL talk and uh, discuss last week's championship games, championship round games. I know uh, we can revisit our pick shortly, but I had both of them wrong. So I was, uh, well... I guess we were probably all pretty surprised to see Kansas City, the Chiefs, the heavy favorites, go down at home uh, to the, you know, you could say shocking Bengals. To who had the Bengals making the Super Bowl? Almost nobody. Um, and I know we were all talking about which quarterback we'd rather have. We talked to Mahomes, Brady. Uh, I think I said uh, some other quarterback who's out, <laughs> uh, Josh Allen, I think. So we now have, uh, you know, not in exactly the best of the crop, but uh, final two guys standing, final two teams. But why don't we spend a few minutes on the Bengals-Chiefs game? Obviously, the Chiefs got off to an early lead, didn't uh, extend that lead at half. We could talk about the decision to go for it and not kick a field goal. Bengals came roaring back, and Mahomes looked like a different player in the second half. So, Mike Mandel, do you want to kind of kick things off? What stood out from that game, and were you shocked by the result? So I wasn't entirely shocked. I, I did call the Bengals here. I didn't think they would win, but the the reason that I was pretty confident in picking them was that everybody outside of Cincinnati was going to underestimate the Bengals, including the Chiefs, including the odds makers. Um, and th th this is a team that, as you said, almost nobody at the beginning of the season um, would would have picked to make the Super Bowl. Um, it's a young team with a second-year quarterback. Um, pretty new coach and probably a rookie of the year wide receiver um and it's not like they didn't have a difficult road to get here they had to knock off the number one titans as well um and you know while i i did i'll admit that i still expected the chiefs to pull it off i felt that the uh the 7.5 line giving him more than a touchdown was a bit excessive um because i think when you looked at the chiefs in the bills game the week prior what you saw, um, especially towards the end in the second half, was it seemed like the Chiefs' defense from the first half of the season that continuously got crapped on was coming back a bit. Um, you saw them rear its ugly head again, whereas we thought that in the second half of the season, given how well the team did, that they'd, they'd really fix those problems. Um, they seemed to manifest against the Bills, and um, it, certainly the same thing happened against Cincy in the second half. Um the uh, I mean I I'd imagine that um, Zach Brown um, no, Zach Brown <laughs> the uh, the coach gave Zach Taylor a, Zach Taylor yeah that he gave a uh, he gave an incredible halftime speech and the Chiefs simply had no answers defensively for the um, for the Bengals offense in the second half um, they they just kept pounding away and their defense tightened up too whereas Mahomes was on fire for most of the first half it, it seemed like. He'd also lost his mojo in a sense. Only um, three points in the second half. Yep, exactly. He had some costly turnovers there. And um, Andy Reid, his biggest weakness is clock management. And yet again, that that, that also helped to um, to put the nail in their coffin. Um, so, you know, in all, not entirely surprised. Somewhat surprised because I didn't think they'd win. But certainly very impressed because um, I, I, I think – the Chiefs were likely, but by the time he got past the divisional round, down to the final four teams, 
Chiefs were probably considered the favorites to win the Super Bowl at that point. Um, and the uh, the Bengals, they just took that from them. Yeah, to me, this was this was pretty shocking. I mean, it was a Herculean comeback, but the turning point of this game was definitely at the end of this at, at the end of the first half, where the Chiefs had a chance to blow it open. And if you guys recall, they they had the ball like inside. I think it was like the five yard line. And rather than um, they want to take an, another shot at the end zone, but Mahomes threw a pass like kind of you know. Uh, a fade that didn't get into the end zone. He gets tackled in bounds and the chiefs don't end up getting any points for it. So they got a little bit greedy there. As you mentioned, Mike, they mismanaged the clock, but I mean, for a game that went into overtime, that was the difference there. If they settled for a field goal there or, or if they had taken an actual shot in the end zone there at the end, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game. So that to me was clearly the turning point, but I think just overall, the fact that Cincinnati is in the Super Bowl, I think should be, very encouraging to football fans across the league, including teams that we root for, because what the Bengals have done in two years is pretty remarkable. I mean, they drafted Joe Burrow three years ago, first overall, which means that they were the worst team in the NFL. And two years later, they are they're in the Super Bowl. And I think, you know, this kind of shows that you know all these teams who were preaching three to five year rebuilds i mean it's total nonsense you know if you if you build the franchise the right way now granted it helps to have a guy like joe burrow but the fact is they've 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 developed talent around him they gave him a a, you know a number one wide receiver to work with um the year after they drafted him but i think this is kind of a template for how you can rebuild quickly uh to go from a two-win team to to in the super bowl knocking off Kansas City on the road. I mean, very impressive. Yeah, wow. I, I I think that this is a clear announcement that Joe Burrow is here and is going to be here for a long time. I think it's fitting that Tom Brady retired, and we're going to get to that. But it's it's fitting that after the old guard, Breeze, Brady, etc., are out of the league, that the new guard besides Mahomes, you have now Burrow and Herbert and you know hopefully Justin Fields Lamar Jackson um the Bengals are going to be a contender for a very long time um the combination of Burrow and Chase the defense is only going to get better and I just thought after Kansas City jumped out to that lead I was so impressed with the fact that Burrow was poised in Arrowhead to lead a comeback like that as a second year pro he's the first first overall pick to make the Super Bowl in the first two years of his career. Um, And I think he's going to, when it's all said and done, he's going to challenge Mahomes potentially as the the best quarterback of, of this generation because he has that intangible ability to be calm under pressure. He's not as talented as Mahomes in certain ways, but he's just a winner. And you you saw that at LSU. I think I read somewhere that he'd be the first person ever to win the Heisman Trophy, the national championship, and the Super Bowl. Um, Which, if you think about it, is crazy. Because you'd think someone would have done it already, but I guess it hasn't happened. So he's... I'm really happy for Bengals fans also, because they were such a laughing stock for most of our lives. 
uh, and probably most people's lives, whether you're our age in your 30s or older, um, that I watched this video of all of them celebrating at, after the win, and it's just very heartwarming as a fan of a team that is incompetent. Um, you hope that with the right moves and the right people in place in the front office that things will turn around. So really happy for the Bengals. I was shocked that they beat the Chiefs, but uh, they're very talented, and they could win the whole thing. I mean, listen, if they beat the Chiefs, they can certainly beat the Rams. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't think we mentioned T. Higgins, who had an unbelievable game, 103 yards uh, on 10 receptions. So it's just a remarkable comeback on the road. And, uh, you know, we kind of touched on overtime, wanted to spend a minute on, on OT because that's now coming to play two weeks in a row. And, you know, I guess the other element is just how great these games have been. They've all been one-score games. I think the last or the five before the NFC Championship all came down to a walk-off, right? They were all walk-off field goals, I believe. Um, so it's just been an, an unbelievable last couple weeks of football. Uh, but the overtime rule has gotten a lot of uh, a lot of play, a lot of discussion over the past two weeks. We saw two weeks ago when it benefited the Chiefs, and then uh, this past week, I guess it worked more to how uh, the NFL intended, where both teams did get a chance to touch the ball. But I know there were a lot of stats that came out before this week where it was like 90 or so percent of the teams that win the coin toss win the game, which just seems crazy that it's been, you know, that that hasn't been changed yet. But um, wanted to, I guess maybe, Adam, if you wanted to start, should this rule stay the way it is? Um, or do you think there can be some tweaks made to make it a little fairer in OT? Yeah, I I, I don't like the rule as, as it is. I, I think these offenses are are too strong now where it really is such a advantage to the team that wins the coin toss. And I, I mean, I think that was on display with the Buffalo-Kansas City game. Now, that being said, uh, you know, Buffalo fans who want to blame the coin toss for that game, um, I don't know that I buy it. I mean, the Bills, and because I know we didn't get a chance to talk about this game, I mean, you have a lead with 13 seconds left and kicking the ball off, you got to win that game. And the fact that they let Kansas City get down in, in two plays and, and tie the game up. Like they, they sad to say they, they deserve what they got. Um, so yeah, I, I think the OT rules need to change in some capacity. Um, and I actually have ideas. I've got one of my own and two that I heard on, on FS one. Um, so I'm curious to see what you guys think. Um, but you know, the end of the game, you know, it's, it's pretty much which team has the ball last, right? That's kind of how it is. So, one one possibility would be, um, you know, you keep the same rule where touchdown wins it or field goal, you know, gives the other team a chance. But why why have a, a coin toss when overtime starts? Why not play the game knowing that if you're tied after after the fourth quarter, you know, whoever has the ball at the end there will, you know, con continue playing basically from wherever they last left off. I think that would change a little bit of the strategy down the stretch, but it would also, um, it would also kind of, uh, reward the teams that had the lead late in the game. So if one of these teams, like, you know, it took you a last minute field goal to, to tie the game up in, in regulation, you know, the ball would go right back to the other team who theoretically would have won the game. Had you not had that very last second, um, you know, comeback. So that was my idea. Um, 
two, two other ideas I heard. So curious which ones you guys like the best. Number one, uh, keep the same rules, but you do the overtime coin toss before the game starts. So when the game starts, you do the coin toss for the beginning of the game. And then you say, if the game goes to overtime, this is who's going to get the ball. So that way, you know, you know, during the game, if it goes to overtime, you know, we're going to be on defense or we're going to be getting the ball back. Cause I think that would change some of the strategy. The other idea, which I thought was very interesting was, and this may be a little bit too wacky, but you have a silent bidding, um, at the start of the overtime. So basically both teams give the ref a number saying, okay, we would be willing to take the ball at this yardage. And then the two teams give their number and then the team with the lower yardage gets to start. So if you're willing to, you know, take the ball on your own two yard line, you can start or if the other price is right. Yeah. Pretty kind of like that. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting and, and creative. I don't know how, how low teams would be willing to go if, if you, you know, you take the ball on your own Half one yard, yard line. line. But um, I thought that was, that was one of the better ideas that I heard out there. So that's interesting. Yeah. I would say I, I like the college rule in a way where if, oh, if, no, I don't if, like the if we're going to, if we're going to do that, because if you're going to bid on where you get the ball in the, the lowest yard line, when I see no difference between that in a way and and the college rule because the college rule at least are consistent you both know you're getting it on what the 20 yard line and both teams get a chance to score i know it's like you you turn it into three on three hockey that's the same thing essentially of, of what would happen um i don't know what i would do honestly because i like the integrity of having a game where overtime is the same as the uh the game itself so maybe to that point, you just have a eight-minute period, let's say, and whoever's winning at the end of that eight minutes or ten minutes, however long you want to make it, wins the game. Um, and and you make it kind of like playoff hockey where you just go until you have a winner. But it's not sudden death. It's not sudden right? death. You play that's, the quarter out. Right. That's, that's, that's what I was going to think. The only issue with that, though, is I, football is like – the one sport you can't have like five overtimes like no just the physical that, nature of it well, like you need to you need to end it so go to the shootout right so then that that's what i'm thinking field goal it, kicking contest it's a yeah. great no you know that would never I, happen i think that you go to like you, let's say okay you play an eight minute period regularly whoever's winning at the end of that wins and then if no one is winning at that point you have like what Adam said, like the coin, the the closest you have to the, some the, sort of gimmick or a college setup, because at least then you've played, like you've played the game again to the point where if you tie it after that extra period, you want to have a winner and loser. So I think the college thing would work there because it is a gimmick, but you'd give both teams a chance to score. And so ultimately, what yeah. we're de- ultimately what we're debating is the fact that. It's BS that the team that loses the coin toss could lose the game because they lost the coin toss. Um, right. And that, that's what we're trying to solve for is give both right. teams a chance to at least touch the ball on offense. So I would say the right. idea, the idea of I like the idea, eight minute quarter, and then after that go to like the college. And rule. maybe it's only in the playoffs. In the regular season, you can you know keep the same rules, but for playoff football, that's where you could deviate. Actually, I just thought of another idea. How about uh, first touchdown wins? Uh, we ha- we have that already. We have that. 
No, 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 no field goal. No field goal does not win it. First team you to score a touchdown. Score a touchdown. Yes. Think about that. You so would, that's a turnover you'd on elimin- downs. Right. You'd eliminate kicking completely. The the complete focus would be on getting the ball in the end zone. It, it would it would speed the game up a little bit, I think. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like be, the idea exciting. of needing a stop, though. Like, I, I like well, the you idea do. of... Yeah. Well, if, you're, if your defense stops the other team, then, I, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. But I, I like the idea of if your defense stops the team, then you have a right to kick the field goal to win. But that's why I say play out the quarter because at that point you're basically probably playing out the quarter anyway if it's first one to score a touchdown. Yeah, I could see them kind of what they do with hockey where you have one overtime for the regular season and then they change it for the playoffs, something to make it a little bit more fair. I could see stuff yeah, like that happening. But not to play indefinitely like hockey. That would not no, no, go no, over no. well. No. Mike Mandel, do you want to give your thoughts on this before we move on to the NFC Championship? Yeah, yeah, because I, I think it seems like we all agree that the current rules are not acceptable, that giving chance too much of an input as to who wins the overtime is not acceptable. And what's remarkable is that this rule has changed not too long ago. I want to say it was sometime early in the mid-2010s where it used to be that even a field goal for the team that receives the ball would be good enough to, to win the game, which was considered exceedingly easy. And then they, they changed it to, um, you know, to give the defenders a chance if they held them to a field goal. But my, my, my solution is probably simpler than, than – either of the solutions that I, I and I think both of your solutions are good and better than either of the things that were offered up by uh by FS1. I, I, I admittedly don't think either of those are, are very serious solutions. But I feel like mine would be pretty simple in that um it would be similar to the current rule, but if indeed the the first receiving team scores a touchdown, then you allow the next team a chance to score a touchdown. And if they do anything but score a touchdown, then the game's over. They lose. Um, but if they can tie it up with a touchdown, then I think you go to next score wins. Because at that point, you can say, okay, we've tested the defenses. Um, neither of them were able to stop the offense. And now we're just going to you know, put it back to, to sudden death. Um, it, it was somewhat similar to the change that they initially made where the the defending team would have a chance to strike back with a field goal and then go to sudden death after that. I, I think you just you tweak it slightly so that instead of the Bills, for example, losing the um, the divisional game outright, they would have had a chance to score a touchdown, and, and then you go to sudden death after that. Um, that would be my solution. Probably not too different from what you guys had said. It's the simplest solution. I don't know if it deviates enough from the coin toss like mattering so much. That would be my only thought. Because it's still really high, you know, if both teams score, then the next score wins. But it's better than the current rule. Right. So it's, it's something, hopefully the NFL will at least look at it. I It definitely seems like if the, the Chiefs had won again uh, with their opponent not touching it, they would have definitely changed the rule. But I guess we will see. Uh, I know some stories came out that, was it the Bills or the Chiefs? I think the Chiefs wanted to change it a few years back, and the Bills said no. So there has to be agreement. I don't know if it's all all teams have to agree to it or what the rule is, but it's not that easy to change. So hopefully they'll spend some time, maybe more time than we did tonight, uh, trying to figure out what works best. So uh, let's move quickly to the uh, the other 
championship game, which was also very exciting. Maybe not as exciting as the first one, but great back and forth game between the 49ers and Rams. Obviously, the Rams pulled it off, but the uh, 49ers did cover, made it close. And um, it's just uh, another really exciting game. I thought, too, the crowd being you know so close to 50-50 split down in L.A., the, the San Francisco fans, maybe even outnumbering the Rams fans. Um, you know, really uh, traveled well. Obviously, it's a short trip from San Francisco to L.A. But, um, Wild, do you want to start and, and maybe give your thoughts on the NFC Championship game and, and what stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think hat tip to the 49ers that they, I think they battled. I, I was thinking they would win. You know, I, I was surprised that they they blew the game, but they really were a gritty team that at the beginning of the year I didn't see them making much noise and it got to the point where they probably should be in the Super Bowl. So I thought had obviously Jaquaski Tart caught that interception, we'd be having a different conversation. Cost them the game. Not to make it only about that, but the um the fact that they probably should have been in the Super Bowl is a testament to their outstanding defense and just the, the game plan that Kyle Shanahan put together. But that being said, I'm I'm very happy for Matthew Stafford. I think the Rams deserve to be there because, as Adam, you predicted, I think at the beginning of the year uh, that the Rams... I didn't have the conviction to stick with it, though. Right, but, but you got... I mean, they went all in. So that's an example of yep. a team going for it, getting Odell, getting Von Miller. Um, you know, there, there's... Um, a lot of things they did to improve their team, and I'm happy that they're joking. Matthew Stafford and Eminem both are going to be at the Super Bowl, so it's as close as Detroit is going to get. But um, it, it's just a great story on both sides. I'm happy for Matt Stafford. Like, there's not a team that you can really dislike in this Super Bowl. Like Sean McVay is a likable head coach, really, really smart, um, and it's just the case of a team that has been on the cusp. Odell like, is pretty divisive, I would say. He he can be, yeah. But I think that Stafford negates that. And I, I Aaron Donald seems like a likable guy. He's a, you know, a superstar that deserves to win a Super Bowl because he's the best defensive player in the league. But let's be honest, we're all probably rooting for the Bengals, as is everybody except the people that are Rams fans. Um, and... I think the people looking forward to this most might be the St. Louis fans that they're they're hoping if if the Rams lose in LA to the Bengals in the Super Bowl then that's that's a pretty tough pill to swallow for for Rams faithful. Um Mandel, uh I believe you had uh the 49ers in this game as well. You were the only one of us to go 2 and 0 last week. Obviously they were up 17-7. Rams came back and and ended up winning. Um, and now we get to see the home team in the Super Bowl twice in a row after it never happening. Love when uh, statistical oddities like that happen. What were your takeaways from this game? So, so, so first, it's my turn to step up to the confession box because I, I, I gave the Rams plenty of flack. Um, first, for making the trade in the first place. Um, I, I did not think at the time that Stafford was an upgrade over Jared Goff. And, and then I gave them even more flack for blowing it against the 49ers on Monday Night Football and getting crushed. And... Here they come, you know, not only do they make it to the Super Bowl with the move that they made for Stafford, but they also, they beat the 49ers on the biggest stage of all in the NFC Championship, bigger than either of the two games that they lost to them earlier this season. So hats off to to Sean McVay, to Matt Stafford, to Odell Beckham Jr., to Cooper Cup, 
Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, the whole squad. Great team effort. Very balanced to, to get him there. Now, I, I do I, I agree with, with Wiles' take. Um, the other uh, 49er who had um, failed to get the interception. You know, granted, that's why he's a defender and, and not a not a receiver, but I think most would agree that yeah, that ball still should have been caught. Um, at the same time, I I hope he's not too hard on himself. He made one bad play, and um, he should be able to bounce back from this, become better than ever next season. It was definitely it was a great game to watch. Um, it was close as I expected it to be. Um, you know, I I know I took the 49ers thinking that you know they, they could at least keep it close, if not outright win, but. Um, the Rams had a very well-balanced effort, and the, the new assets that they acquired all contributed in a big way to the victory. So they absolutely deserve to be there. Um, I still think the 49ers have a bright future ahead of them. Um, seems like they're likely going to get a new quarterback, but the rest of the team has a lot of pieces in place. They, they've still got George Kittle. They've still got Debo Samuel. Still got a great defense. Um... I, I, it's going to be a great Super Bowl. As Mike said, there's really no villains here. Um, so should be a lot of fun. Hopefully it's just as exciting as it's been both of the last two weeks. Adam, your thoughts? I think it's interesting. The, the two teams that we have in the Super Bowl now kind of got there on the two total opposites of, of the spectrum. So you have the Bengals who have basically started from the ground up. They got the number one pick. They drafted a franchise quarterback. They've built through the draft, um, kind of the the traditional model to to building a sustainable football winner. And the Rams have been the complete opposite, right? They've completely mortgaged the future. They've traded all their first round picks. They've brought in uh, guys with character concerns, and in, in Odell and uh, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they they took a big gamble on on trading for Matt Stafford, which has worked out really well. So two very different. Uh, styles to get there and i think you could argue the re- the reason the rams did that the reason they wanted to bring in all that star power was because they're they're new to the city you know they want to steal market share you know you've got the chargers competing there as well and and you know maybe fans with other allegiances already so it was important for them to to win now and so clearly it's paid off uh i mean looking at the the stadium breakdown for for the nfc championship i mean I think it was more than half Niners fans. So, you know, they probably still have some work to do, but um, just thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, the Rams are, are super talented. I mean, we, we knew they'd be one of the last teams standing. Uh, they tried very hard to give away the game against Tampa two weeks ago. And then this game, they probably had no business winning either. And, you know, if Tart makes that catch, I don't think they come back and win it, but you got to give them credit. They've, um, you know they've they've played up to the level of competition, and now they got a chance to host the Super Bowl. So I think it's a very uh, compelling matchup. I think having the Rams in over the Niners uh, will make the game a little bit more exciting. I, I don't think you have quite the the star power with with San Francisco. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and it'll be the uh, first time that these two teams have met in the Super Bowl, obviously, and the Bengals' first appearance since 1988. I think it's the two youngest coaches as well ever, uh, McVay yep. uh, Zach and Taylor. Zach Taylor, 36 yeah, combined, years combined old, age. combined yeah. age. Yep. Um, so, 74 yeah, so interesting storylines and 
Um, hopefully it seems like all the COVID stuff is behind us, knock on wood. So we're not going to get any last minute. I shouldn't say this, but you know, COVID absences, we will say. Um, so I, I think we will, uh, we'll look forward to the game and we will make our pick shortly because, uh, you know, why not? Um, so I, I guess just wanted to connect or discuss with you guys if there's any other kind of storylines or X factors or things maybe that are a little bit below the surface that you might not be thinking about what's going to really be a, a difference maker. And, uh, you know, you don't have to give an MVP pick, but kind of what player Mike Mandel do you think might stand out? You know, don't name a quarterback. That's kind of obvious. Is there, you know, a defender, a guy in the secondary or uh, maybe even a kicker that, that you think is going to be a big decisive uh, factor in this game? Well, well, the, the kickers have been a decisive factor in all these games, right? At least um, the, for the divisional and the uh, and the conference championship rounds. So, you know, it, from that respect, I would say it's McPherson. But I also, I, I think Jamar Chase. I, I alluded to him before. I'm pretty sure he's going to be rookie of the year. Um, I, I don't remember when's the last time I've seen a rookie make this sizable an impact on a team. Like I, I've, we've obviously seen plenty of seasons where the rookie would put up great stats, but for one to actually help carry his team to the Super Bowl. Um, that, that, that's something else. And if the Bengals win, I think Jamar Chase is going to be a big part of that. How about you, Adam? Uh, to me, the X factor is the Bengals offensive line. I think if we saw anything from last year's Super Bowl, it was just how overpowering Tampa's D line was on Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they made him look like an ordinary quarterback and, the Bengals offensive line has struggled in the playoffs. They actually, they, they did pretty well in the AFC championship, but um, you know, going up against Aaron Donald and some of those other big boys, um, you know, it, it'll be really important that they're able to keep Joe Burrow upright. Um, one other just random thought I had. So obviously this is the second year in a row. We have the home team or one of the teams playing in their home stadium. And for the Rams, I guess it's, it's a little bit different because they, they don't have necessarily as strong of a fan base. Um, but I thought it was interesting, and may, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but apparently the Rams are going to be you know staying in their home locker room. They're going to be on their traditional home sideline. Uh, I think they're wearing their uniforms that they most frequently wear at home. And so probably not a big deal. But to me, like if you're trying to avoid any sort of home field advantage i feel like allowing the home team to to stay like in their home locker room and and keep them on the sideline they're, they're they're normally accustomed to i feel like it kind of gives them a little bit of an edge that they probably don't deserve so i don't know if you guys feel the same so you're way, saying I, because technically they're the road team this year is that what they but they are going to be on all the home sidelines on the locker room because I was curious about that. Yes, they they're going to be on the whole the home sideline, so the sideline that they're they're normally they 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 yeah. But stay even though the, the NFC this year is the road team, yes, and so but, yeah, I guess that doesn't make sense. I, there, I guess there, there are two home locker rooms, so oh, the okay. the Bengals will stay in the Charger locker room, which which is pr presumably just as nice, and the Rams will stay in their own. Got it. Which, right. I guess I don't know. I feel like you know they should they should make the Rams stay in the Charger locker room just to make it feel a little bit different because now it, it's virtually a home game to them. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but I don't I don't think it plays any impact on the game. But I I do feel like it's nice to have look even even if you're playing in your home stadium, if you're on the opposite sideline, 
it, it feels a little bit different. It doesn't quite feel the same as it normally does, but obviously that won't be the case. How about you, Wyle? What, you, what are your thoughts on an X factor? Yeah, I think Adam hit it on the head. Uh, to me, it was I was going to say the Bengals' offensive line because you look at Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, the Rams' pass rush against that offensive line, which was absolutely destroyed. It was absolutely destroyed by Tennessee. Um, and, and Kansas City had their way in the first half, then lost it in the second half. But it's going to be a tough task. And and if that's going to be where the game's decided. I think if the Bengals protect Joe Burrow sufficiently, then they have a good chance to win because we've seen them beat the Chiefs. We've seen them beat the Titans, who are the number one team in the AFC. So the Rams had a lot of trouble with the 49ers. They're lucky, in a sense, to be there, and they've been up and down. They've been mostly up, obviously, lately, but they're beatable. So I think that's the matchup I'm going to be watching. If the Rams can do what the Titans did to the Bengals line, this is not going to be a close game. Um, Or the Bengals are going to have to run the ball all the time and run a lot of quick passes. So um, that's that's going to be, in my opinion, where the game's won or lost. And we can talk more about it next week. Yeah, and I would just add, I know we mentioned Odell Beckham, but I think he's a name to, to keep an eye on. And um, obviously, Cooper Cup is the number one receiver. But Odell, the last few weeks, especially this past week, he's he's really kind of found his groove. And I feel like the, the Rams offense has figured out how to incorporate him, doing some trick plays, getting him in open space. Um, and he's he's kind of back to old form, at least the last few games. So I feel like if he can be that almost superstar number two receiver, the the Rams will be hard to beat. So I think with that, we're going to move on to our Super Bowl picks. It's obviously the last, uh, we're not going to be picking the Pro Bowl this weekend. So it'll be the last of our football picks for the year. Do you want to do it next week when the line is more established? Well, I just thought since we don't know for sure if we're going to have a show next week, since we're all on now, we can, we can make our picks. If you want to adjust it, we can do that. I know the line has, I've seen four, four and a half. It seems like it's four and a half now in most places, but um, if you're comfortable, why don't we give our picks? But you can go last while. How about that? And Ian, I see you've squandered yeah. your, your playoff lead. I know. I started, what, 4-0? and And then I think uh, I'm back to 500 now. Yeah, wow. That's impressive. 6-6. Six and six. So Adam <laughs> Weil and myself, 6-6. Six and six. Mandel is 5-7. and seven. That's for the playoffs. And uh, Adam is uh, far and away the victor at why, you know, yeah. Why don't, why don't I why don't I lead it off then here? Um, well, let's also just say yeah, this is a big really game good. for Wyle. Is he going to finish over five hundred or under five hundred for the year? Because right now oh, he's yeah. at a cool wow. fifty and fifty. But you've clinched second, so um, all right. Something. So I'll, I'll I'll make my pick here then. So four and a half. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised. I think I think when we first got the matchup, I was expecting it to be closer to minus three. Uh, I wonder if some of that is maybe driven by the fact that they'll be playing in their home stadium. Uh, I'm going to take the Bengals four and a half to me is enough points, but I actually, I, I think they're going to win outright. Um, I've picked against them with the spread every game in the playoffs. So um, I, I do think that they'll cover, but I don't know. The Bengals just kind of feel like the team of destiny right now. Uh, the Rams, you know, two impressive wins, but two games they also very, very easily could have lost. Um, you know, the 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 collapse against Tampa was was just brutal. Um, and truthfully, they, they really had no business winning last week against San Francisco. Um, so I'm going to take the Bengals here. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way. Um, 
I think it's kind of hard to root against either team. I think there's a lot of, I mean, Stafford, I mean, what a great story that is. And obviously Burrow and the, the Cincinnati fan base, which is starving for a championship. So uh, I'll take the Bengals to, to cover and win. Um, but I think we'll get a good game. I do. So I will go next because I pretty much agree with what Adam said. So I will, uh, I guess, make that two for the Bengals. I also think they're going to win a, a team of destiny, the road favorites, road warriors, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think they're, uh, they can, the Rams, they, they have talent, but I feel like they also kind of shoot themselves in the foot sometimes. And they're just, they're not to me like super impressive. And I think it being a home game doesn't really matter. There's so many corporate fans there to begin with at the Super Bowl, and the Rams don't have the most dedicated of fan bases, probably one of the least, besides the Chargers. Um, so, yes, I also think this will be close. At least I'm hoping it'll be close like the rest of the playoffs, and we'll also take the Bengals to cover and to win the game. How about you, Mike uh, Mandel? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think the line probably is in part due to the Rams being – well, somewhat the home team and having those advantages, but um, it makes my decision pretty easy because uh, five of the last six games have been decided by a field goal, um, and, and both of the last two games that the Rams and the uh, and the Bengals played and were decided by a field goal. So if I'm getting a line of more than that, I'm going to go with the Bengals because um, I, I do think that the Rams indeed are the narrow favorite here, um, but it, chances are this is going to be decided by another field goal so given that's the case Bengals it is okay so this is a very this is a very interesting position to be in because if I pick the Rams and they win then I win the playoffs and I I finish over 500 however I just like it's too much fun to to root for the Bengals in this situation and I don't want to pick against them and then root against them so I think that I'm gonna just Join you. We'll all tie in the playoffs and say, Let, let's go Bengals. Who day? Bengals. I don't know if they win. I hope they win. But I do think they cover in this situation. So I could have picked the Rams, which is a good pick. I think I saw on FanDuel, it's, it's more favored that the Rams are going to cover than the Bengals lose by less than four. So... Um, but I, I want to have fun and, and root for the Bengals. So let's, for Harambe. let's go. Exactly. <laughs> so, all we right. All, we all take the Bengals. We're, we're all, we're all going with the, I, I guess the home team, but sort of the road team, however you want to describe them, home team in the game. Um, so we are looking forward to the game, of course, next Sunday night. Um, but I think we're going to move now to final thoughts and Mike Mandel, why don't you lead us off? Yeah. So I was, um, had had a, the Sixers Lakers game last week, and the news got around the league, so you, you've probably heard about it. How um, Carmelo Anthony, Anthony was confronted by um, a fan at the game, who who was basically immediately ejected, and wasn't clear when we were sitting there what he was saying. But then it it turned out that he was actually using what's known as a pretty wide racial slur, continuing to refer to him as boy and shouting at him like a slave master. Now. Philly fans are proudly known for being among the, the, the toughest in sports. We have the highest expectations. Um, you know, you want to knock Carmelo for being past his prime, for never winning a ring, for needing to move with LeBron to have a chance. Go ahead. But to be a racist, no, we we don't. We have no desire to be known for any of that. 
Um, that that is utterly unacceptable. I'm glad that fan was banned for the rest of his life. Um, hopefully that'll be an example to anybody else who just wants to show up and act stupidly. Now, having said that, um, you know that that is absolutely no excuse for Ben Simmons to continue to blame the fans um, for for his own shortcomings. Um, because a couple of games later. You had Devontae Smith, the Eagles rookie wide receiver, show up. And if you saw the reception that he got, nobody would be saying that the Philly fans were unfair. Um, and, and again, Devontae Smith, he's a guy who's a rookie. He's never won a playoff game with us yet. So it isn't about his stats. It's about the fact that, just like many other athletes who come here, he puts his body, everything out on the football field. That That's all we expect. Um, so, you know, as Simmons continues to refuse to play and blame the fans, um, just know it's not us. And plenty of other Philadelphia sports players will come and vouch for us the same way that, that Devontae would or almost anybody else who shows up at one of these games. All right. Uh, my final thought, just a quick shout-out to the uh, the Clippers, the comeback clips. So Mike and I went to the uh, Sixers-Clippers game a couple weeks ago where the Clippers – overcame a 24-point deficit to win uh, in, a, in a thrilling game. And then a week later, the Clippers completed the second-largest comeback in NBA history, overcoming a 35-point deficit against the Washington Wizards. And remember, the Clippers are very shorthanded with Kawhi and Paul George both likely out for the season. So, um, you know, they're not the title contenders that they were with one or, or both of those guys healthy, but... They play very hard, and uh, Ty Lue is, is certainly getting the most out of out of the guys that they have there. So uh, proud to be a Clippers fan, and uh, just wanted to give them some love for for two of the you know best comebacks you'll ever see. Wow. Yeah, I have to mention Tom Brady because because he should be mentioned on this show. Um, I, I don't know if it was. He forgot to mention the the Patriots in his thank you. No, we can we can forget to I mention him. I don't know him. if it was deliberate, but I mean, for a long time since before we all have known each other, um, and, and even before that, really, since before we were all in high school, Tom Brady has been a staple and a fixture at the top of the NFL. And as crazy as he can make the teams that played against him, the the stat that jumps out to me is seven Super Bowls is more than any franchise has ever won. And he, he got there 10 times. So unquestionably, he is the greatest football player of all time. And we were fortunate to be alive when we saw Michael Jordan. We saw Tom Brady. We saw some of Wayne Gretzky. So we've seen three of the four greatest athletes in the major sports of all time. And then, Obviously, with tennis, you have Federer and Nadal and Serena Williams. Um, there, there's just a lot of greatness that we've seen. But but Tom Brady, I don't think we're ever going to see someone who is as singularly as dominant for this long of a time. I mean, he led the league in passing yards this year at 44 years old. So, incredible career. Shout out to Tom Brady. And um, he's the man. Also, in keeping with tradition, my original final thought was going to be Matt Eberflus. I wish Matt Eberflus' luck and Ryan Pohl's luck, because it's a very low bar to clear, 
But Tom Brady's my final thought. Salute to the GOAT. And I'll also end on a football final thought. I know we were kind of uh, – we talked about the Giants a little bit earlier, the Brian Flores situation, but I do want to give them props. I know since we last podcasted, I don't think the Giants had a GM or a, a head coach, and they have, true to their word, gone outside the organization, brought in – they're basically becoming Buffalo South, bringing in their uh, their assistant GM, Joe Shine, and now head coach Brian Dable, former – uh, offensive coordinator and uh, they've also just today brought in I believe one of the youngest uh, offensive coordinators um, I think his name is Kafka with uh, the Chiefs so yep. they now have Northwestern uh, yep. yeah and a terrible Mahomes. hopefully much better coach <laughs> Mahomes good college is, quarterback uh, yeah so I mean all they need now is is a good quarterback or they're going to turn Daniel Jones into the next uh, Josh Allen or or Patrick Mahomes so I can I can only hope I guess but I don't know I just wanted to end on a little bit of a positive thought and um, while I would have preferred Brian Flores they seem to have some smart minds uh, at the helm this time and and some new thinking and all that so uh, you know I guess starting to get excited very early of course but uh, for the 2022 season so we hope to talk to everyone again next week before the Super Bowl but if not enjoy the game and Uh, Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Sports Cafe alongside Mike Weil, Mike Mandel, and Adam Rosen. I'm Ian Gus. We'll see you next time.